Welcome to Life Study of the Bible, a presentation of Living Stream Ministry. Witness Lee, a servant of the Lord for over seven decades, culminated his ministry with a 21-year book-by-book exposition of the entire Bible, which he called Life Study. This Life Study is the basis for our program today and includes short portions of the spoken messages given by Witness Lee. Now, let's join today's program. God's calling of Moses is the most complete call in the Bible. Moses took God's word and did all that God had charged him to do. However, things did not turn out as Moses expected. To his surprise, he was defeated. Pharaoh was victorious, and the children of Israel suffered all the more. For this reason, he complained to the Lord in Exodus chapter 5, saying, Why is it you have sent me? Ever since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has mistreated this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. Have you ever brought such a charge against the Lord? And joining us once again to add his comments is Ron Kangas. Ron, welcome back to the program. I'm glad to be here for further fellowship on the Lord's Word. We want to continue today, Ron, to look at how God further trained Moses, his called one. This is critical to us. Because we've been seeing that the calling of Moses very much represents our own calling by God. We saw that the first two items that God brought to Moses in this further training were his name and his covenant. Review these two positive aspects of God's training of Moses. These two positive aspects are, without exaggeration, unspeakably tremendous. God's name and God's covenant In the Revelation here, the name of God is Jehovah. This is God as the ever-existing and self-existing one, and as such a one, he is the fulfilling God. So we may summarize the Revelation here with two expressions. Here we have the ever-existing God the self-existing God. And here we have the fulfilling God. In the Lord's further training of Moses, the Lord wanted to deeply impress Moses with God himself, not primarily as the supplying God or as the promising God, but as the fulfilling God. God was now coming in to fulfill what he had promised to do. And the assurance that this fulfillment would take place resides in the fact of God's self-existence. God is, all other things are not. Because he is and always will be, he will fulfill what he has promised to do. This fulfillment is related to God's covenant. When God makes a covenant, he is bound by his righteousness to fulfill the terms of that covenant. God delights to do this, that is, to bind himself by his righteousness to us and then ask us in faith to hold him to his word. So God is self-existing and ever-existing, and as such he is the fulfilling God, 
And God is a covenanting God who is faithful to his covenant. What great assurance this is, and what a training this is to Moses in the midst of a difficult situation. Moses is now coming to know God in his self-existence, God as the fulfilling God, and he is coming to know in concrete reality the covenant of God. Wonderful. Well, this is wonderful, Ron, and I think that our listeners are in store for a wonderful message today, so let's join Witness Lee. Moses got so much revelation, so much instruction, and he was, to our opinion, very much completed in God's calling. And then he took God's word, and he went on to do everything God told him to do. And eventually, the thing didn't happen as he expected. It was to his surprise. He was defeated. And Pharaoh gained the victory, and the children of Israel suffered more. So he had no way but to come back to uh, complain to God a little bit. So God seemed to say, okay, Moses, I will send you. But before I send you the second time, you need a little training. After this further training, God never gave another one. Moses graduated. These are the points of God's further training. We all have to see, to know these five things of God. His name, his covenant, his word, his ordination, and his hand. All oh, the chosen people and the enemy and yourself. The chosen people is full of unbelief. And the enemy is stubborn. And you yourself start to say, it's so natural. Actually, God only talked about one thing. That is to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt and bring them into the land. This is the word of assurance. Oh, Moses, you just forget about children of Israel's unbelief. You have to just forget about Pharaoh and forget about yourself, forget about your uncircumcised lips. You have to be impressed with my word of assurance. I am Jehovah. I establish my covenant, and I do remember my covenant. Now, based upon my covenant, I tell you to go. I will deliver the children of Israel. They will surely be delivered out of the land of Egypt. This is the word of assurance. I heard not many, just a few, did say that this is altogether a dream to have the recovery of the church I have. Look at the situation. If the recovery of the church life would be impossible, then the Lord's return could never be. His return needs a church as a stepping stone for him to tap over in the kingdom age. The church must be built and the church must be here as the stepping stone for him to come back. So don't say it is impossible. It's altogether possible. If you read these few chapters, you could see, natural speaking, whatever Moses said was true. Natural speaking, you see, the children of Israel didn't hearken to him. And Pharaoh was that stubborn. 
all was true. But God didn't believe the situation. All the situation is a lie. God only believed in himself. God believed in his word. God believed in his covenant. God believed in his name. God believed in what he is, in what he speaks, and in what he will do. You see the situation too, too bad. God said, no, I will make them the armies. You must heed the word of assurance. God's word of assurance, you must pay your full attention to. And tell the environment, I don't believe you. I believe God's word of assurance. Ron, it's very clear that Moses was in a situation much like we often find ourselves in. He had two choices, either to believe God's assuring word or to be overwhelmed by the outward elements of his environment and then to be fully defeated before he even began. What are some of the practical examples of the word of assurance that the Lord would give to us if we would just receive it? Uh, One that comes to mind is from chapter 13 of Hebrews. The context here is the practical church life according to the new covenant. And in this church life, we should learn to love God, to trust in God and not money, to encourage us in our faith. We have this wonderful word of the Lord where he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. But in uh, Exodus, he assured Moses that despite the appearances, he would deliver the children of Israel out of Egyptian bondage. The conflict here is about God's insistence that Israel be released from bondage and Pharaoh's stubborn refusal to do so. And apparently, Pharaoh has the power, and all Moses can do is speak on the Lord's behalf. But that's all he needs to do. Moses was human. He's not the great giant that we imagine him to be, and he was disappointed in a sense, even with God. So God assured him, so to speak, Moses, I assure you, I will bring my people out from under Pharaoh's tyranny and out from under the bondage in Egypt. Often we want him to do something and then we'll believe in him. But in his heart, the Lord would like first to assure us with who he is, and what he is, and then with what he says. And once we have his word, this word becomes an inward assurance. And yes, we need to see the fulfillment in action, but we don't have to wait for sight. We have the inward assurance that comes from God and his living and abiding word. Ron, it's interesting. It seems like probably in Moses' heart there was a kind of testing after all the years of training that he had had, and now he's finally there on the stage, so to speak, in front of Pharaoh. Uh, And there he's waiting to see if God would really be faithful to do what he had said. But in reality, it's more that God was still testing him, wasn't it? We may say that there was um, a kind of test going on. But the crucial thing, even if there is a test, is training. 
Uh, Moses spent a lot of time under the Lord's training. He might have thought it was all over after the 80 years and after the commission through the burning bush. But there's a certain kind of training we can only get in the midst of a challenging environment. Here there was no opportunity to flee to the wilderness. Here there is no refuge in the house of the father-in-law. Here in the midst of the conflict with Pharaoh, God is training Moses, exposing Moses, and manifesting himself to Moses that Moses would have the assurance he needed to confront stubborn Pharaoh in the name of the living God. Well, Ron, in this coming portion, we're going to look at verse 10 in chapter 4 of Exodus. I'd like to read it now. And Moses said to Jehovah, Please, Lord, I am not a man of words, neither in the past nor since you have spoken to your servant, for I am slow of speech and slow of tongue. Let's join Witness Lee once again. I better refer you to chapter 4 and read verse 10. In Hebrew it means, I am not a man of speech. I am not eloquent, I am not outspoken, thy servant. But I am slow of speech and of slow tongue. By the Lord's insistence, Moses believed that his tongue should have had a content to be powerful. Whatever he would speak, that should be what? A kind of power. Authority. And everybody has to obey. And eventually he did go to Pharaoh and told Pharaoh and said something to Israel. Neither Pharaoh listened to, nor Israel hearkened to. So he came back and complained to God. And God said, go again. He said, my lips are the same. Uncircumcised, no change still remain natural, the same. And this means what? You depend on what you do. And you depend on what you are. You don't depend on what he would do. I tell you, Moses, the Lord will keep your life the same. I will make you God to Pharaoh. Whether your lips are uncircumcised or circumcised, that doesn't mean anything. I make you God. And I send Aaron with you to speak for you. You don't need to speak. Here's a great lesson. Oh, we want God to do something miraculously to change our nature, to change what we are in our nature. God wouldn't do a bit. Whatever you are in nature, you have to forget about it. Just because he was living to his natural condition, he wouldn't care for God's word. God said that much of his assurance. Moses didn't hear because of Moses' natural concept. We are the same. God didn't do anything according to what Moses expected. God didn't change his mouth. Rather, God said, okay, I give you another one. Another one to be your mouthpiece. This was a very strict dealing God gave to Moses. Moses, God trained there. Ron, once again, we're treated 
to just a remarkable insight into the deeper meaning of the Word of God. What Moses wanted God to do is the same thing that we often want God to do. He wanted God to change him so that he'd be more able, more capable of carrying out God's will. But what would be the likely result, Ron, if God would grant such a request, either for Moses or for us? The impression I have is that Moses was still measuring the situation by himself. I am not. I am slow of speech. I am not a man of words. I'm really not adequate. Uh, I can't speak in a proper way. So nothing can happen. It's just too bad. Uh, I I can't do any better. My speech is, uh, is slow. But the point is, Moses and the Lord would say to us, it's not a matter of what you are able to do. This is a matter of what God is. If the Lord grants our request, we end up still in our natural situation, measuring things by ourselves, assuming that if we're able, there'll be a good result. If we're not able, there will be failure. If the Lord lets us fail, then the result is likely to be that we lapse into despair. We become in a practical way the same as unbelievers. There really seems to be no living God. But it's even more dangerous if we succeed. Because with our lips, we may thank God and give him the glory, but deep in our heart, we may credit ourselves with the success. So in the wisdom of God, he will use those who, according to their estimate, are nothing and can do nothing. And instead of making them better in their eyes and improving them according to their expectation, He uses these weak and fragile earthen vessels to manifest his own power and ability. Then it's clear to everyone, to Moses, to the children of Israel, to Pharaoh, to the Egyptians, that no human being has done this. God himself has done this for his own glory. Moses said, I am not we need to remember that the Lord said, I am. And it's this wonderful I am who manifests himself through those who are not that should receive the glory for doing what is humanly impossible. Well, Ron, we opened the program today with a complaint that Moses was presenting to the Lord in chapter 6. And following that complaint, the Lord does something, to me at least, that was unexpected. He recites a portion of the genealogy of the children of Israel. This is going to prove to be very significant in our final section today, so let's go back to Witness Lee. God came to his ordination. Why in God dealing with Moses out of a sudden a kind of genealogy here? Actually, chapter 6 doesn't give us a full record of genealogy of the children of Israel. The record's intention is to show us that among the 12 sons of Jacob, only one was chosen. That was Levi. God did choose Levi. Then God did choose Levi's son, Kohath. And God chose Kohath's son, Amram. And out of Amram, Moses and Aaron were born. And these two were the ones 
that God said, that God commanded to go to tell Pharaoh, to go to tell the children of Israel. Now you can see this record is a record of what? Of God's selection. And this is to prove that Aaron and Moses, they were not a kind of a presumption. They were ordained. They didn't presume their job without a strong hand, every kind of talk is vain. The negotiation between nations all depends upon power. The strong hand is here. At least five verses tell us something of this strong hand. I will stretch out my hand upon the Egyptians. I will stretch forth my hand to exercise great judgment upon Pharaoh and Egypt. My hand is backing my mouth. Why God here mentioned his hand, God was forced by Moses. Because Moses came back to complain. Then he said, Moses, let me tell you, I do not only have a mouth, I have a strong hand. You go to tell Pharaoh, if he listened to, that's fine, but I tell you, I will harden him not to listen. In order that my hand will be <laughs> manifest. You go to tell him my word, then my hand will beg my word. Whatever you say, my hand will stretch out to do it. This is a strong confirmation of being sent by God. The strong hand is used twice in one verse in chapter 7. And this strong hand compelled Pharaoh not only to let the children of Israel go, but also to drive them out of his land. He can resist the word, but he cannot resist against God's tongue. We're on two more marvelous components of God's further training of Moses, his ordination of Moses and the presence of his strong hand. Comment on these two final matters, Ron, and also their relevance for us in how the Lord is training us today. The uh, insertion of the genealogy here shows us that the decision concerning Moses was made by God and foreordained by God in eternity past. Moses was chosen. Moses was foreknown. Moses was ordained to accomplish a certain matter. If we realize this, we are on the one hand humbled, on the other hand we are heartened. We realize that we are here simply to do what God has chosen and ordained us to do. We would not presume to do things that are not given us to do. On the other hand, it gives us a confidence that we're not here by accident, that we're here by God's sovereignty. And with a pure heart, we should pray, Lord, I simply want to do what you have ordained me to do. Then when we are faithful by the Lord's mercy and grace to do simply what he has ordained us to do, which often involves speaking a particular word on the Lord's behalf, God himself comes in with what? His strong hand. I'm reminded of Ezekiel chapter 1, 
where the prophet says that the word of the Lord came expressly to me, and the hand of the Lord was strong upon me. There's a principle in the word that the hand of God follows the speaking of the word of God. God's strong hand follows the speaking of God's word. This also should be a training to us. Here we are, the Lord's called ones today. We should not be presumptuous. Instead, we should simply do whatever the Father has chosen and ordained us to do. As a testimony, allow me to say, on behalf of this ministry, that this is our faith. We believe that as we speak God's word, God's strong hand will follow his word. So we don't care to argue or to dispute or to use natural strength to try to prove anything. We would simply be comforted by the Lord's presence, by his name and by his covenant and simply do what he has ordained us to do and speak his word and then see again and again the strong hand of God to follow his word and to carry it out and fulfill it for his glory. I'd like to thank Ron Kangas today for being with us. I'm Chris Wilde, and thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this program. For more information on Witness Lee and Watchman Nee, please visit our website, lsm.org. Again, that's lsm.org. Thanks for listening today.